If you take, for example, an office park, the building act is saying how much energy efficiency you need to apply, for example. Jos Kuzainzen used to represent the Netherlands in global climate talks. Now this Dutch attorney is spearheading something called the Green Deal, which is an effort to drive his country's greenhouse gas emissions down by encouraging people, businesses, municipalities, and farms to reduce their own emissions even further than the law requires, and to do so now, before the Paris Agreement takes effect. But if you go to zero energy use, you do much more. So the idea is you start up with laws, you say these are regulations, this is what we have to do. Then you use these markets to incentivize people to go further. Yeah, that's the fun. And but there's also the I idea. Can go, yeah, but, I, but there's because also people but say, there I, also I can go to zero. Yeah. I can do that. Yeah, but it, it costs money. Well, if I uh, sell credits, I can help I to uh, invest. Yeah. It's like coupon collectors. The European Union already regulates greenhouse gas emissions from some of its biggest industries, including electricity, paper, and steelmaking, which means almost half of its emissions are covered by the European Union Emissions Trading Scheme, or EU-ETS, which requires companies and regulated sectors to either reduce their emissions or buy offsets from projects that do. More than half of the trading bloc's emissions, however, are not yet covered by the EU ETS. And a Dutch court ruled a while back that the government is legally obligated to slash emissions dramatically before the Paris Agreement comes into effect in 2020. Because Einstein says they can do that in part by encouraging individual entities within the country to voluntarily reduce their emissions. So it's not a law, it's not obligatory. It's a test run of how the carbon market could work in non-emission trading sectors. So what are the non-emission trading sectors he's looking to lure in? It's agriculture, uh, transportation, the use of gas, etc., households. Yeah, in this Green Deal we try to find out how can we identify projects in those sectors and use the carbon market. And, and the government has put a cap on some industries, mm-hmm. right? They've said, okay, they, they've regulated, they've said, okay, this... Yeah, for half of the emissions. Yeah. yeah. And then the other half, but if you're a farmer, you're not part of that cap, right? We have no clue how to reduce those emissions. A little bit of clarification here, they do know aggregate emissions and they do know what technologies can help farmers slash their emissions, but they don't have a mechanism yet for getting that done. Today on Bionic Planet, can European countries use voluntary carbon markets to promote emission reductions beyond those already required by law? Man may be unwittingly changing the world's climate through the waste products of his civilization. There's a group of us now who are proposing that the Earth has actually entered a new epoch, and that is the Anthropocene. We know that the enemy is carbon, and we know its ugly face. We should put a big fat price on it, and of course, add to that, drop the subsidies. Earth. We broke it. We own it. 
and nothing is as it was. Not the trees, not the seas, not the forests, farms, or fields, and not the global economy that depends on all of these. But we can restore it, make it better, greener, more resilient, more sustainable. But how? Technology? Geoengineering? Are we doomed to live on a bionic planet, or is nature itself the answer? That's the question we address in every episode of Bionic Planet, a podcast of the Anthropocene, the new epoch defined by man's impact on Earth. And today we hear how European countries can slash their greenhouse gas emissions by getting cities and small companies to help people in the countryside improve the way they manage their forests, farms, and fields. Today's guest, Jos Konzeinsen, has spent more than a decade promoting voluntary emission reductions, and now his efforts are bearing fruit. I caught up to him at the Central Train Station in Utrecht, Netherlands, and asked him to explain the Green Deal. It's so easy to tackle the power... uh power sites emissions or factories, that's the emissioning system, but what to do with uh, agriculture, forestry, uh, transportation, it's pretty difficult. It's difficult, but it's critical. Bronson Griscom of the Nature Conservancy, who we'll have on the show in a few weeks, found that we can get 37% of the way to meeting the Paris Agreement targets by just fixing the way we manage our forests, farms, and fields. And we can do so at a pretty low cost. But less than 3% of all climate finance goes into land management. The European Union, for example, regulates greenhouse gases from some of its biggest industries, including electricity, paper, and steelmaking, which means almost half of its emissions are covered by the European Union Emissions Trading Scheme, that's the EU ETS. It requires companies and regulated industries to either reduce their emissions or buy offsets from projects that do. That's an admirable accomplishment, but it means that most of the zone's emissions are not capped, and they won't be until after the Paris Agreement comes into effect in 2020. One reason that emissions from cows and cars, as Kozainsen calls them, aren't capped is that the emitters are diffuse. They're not giant factories with smokestacks on them, but are little vehicles and animals always on the move, or they're forests and fields with huge variants across them. In an upcoming episode, we will look at new technologies for measuring emissions remotely. But the fact remains that reeling in emissions from forests, farms, fields, cows, and cars is a massive challenge. So you see, you can create uh, policies, some tax incentives, but you want to know all the emissions of all the sources. And there's millions of cars, millions of cows. How to do that? How to tackle that? You can develop policies, but how to calculate the result? It's not that easy measuring the, the result of policies is, is pretty fake, it's difficult. You, you can re- not really tackle it. And we have to get to zero, so you better have more and more uh, yeah, emissions calculated from sources, individual sources. And the carbon market is a way to do that. Because more and more, if you use the carbon market, first voluntarily, later mandatory, you get the numbers right of those sources. Uh, maybe not of all the cars, but then of all the fuel stations, when they bring the fuel. or not of all the houses where they burn gas, but then of the gas that's put on the, on, the, on the economy, so more upstream. So more and more, you get all these sources in a closed system. All the emissions are in, in one budget. 
And yeah, the market is, is a good way for that because you have to calculate the baseline, you calculate the emissions after the investments, so you can prove the reductions. Yeah, and that's what you need. And we need we, all nations need to do this. Uh, China, Mexico, the US. We talk a lot about the carbon market, but there are actually two of them. The compliance market, like the EU ETS, where companies are required by law to meet caps, and the voluntary markets, where companies or individuals can go beyond what's required. Dutch companies and NGOs are active in both, and they transact millions of carbon offsets per year. But that money usually goes abroad to save and restore forests around the world according to an analysis of European voluntary carbon markets that Ecosystem Marketplace and Ecostar Natural Talents published last year. You can find that report in the show notes for this episode, episode 30, at bionic-planet.com. Specifically, the report found companies and NGOs based in the Netherlands transacted 4.4 million carbon offsets in 2015 alone, helping to build wind farms and save or restore forests across nine countries, from Indonesia and Brazil to Turkey and Uganda. One country missing from that list? The Netherlands itself. And it's not alone. That same report found very few land-based carbon projects within European countries, even though European companies are some of the biggest buyers of offsets abroad. At the same time, farmers across the continent as well as forest owners and government forestry agencies are facing massive challenges. And Kazainsen sees potential for voluntary emission reduction programs in all sectors of the Dutch economy. Maybe even to prevent them to be regulated. I mean, I don't want to have a budget as a citizen. So I would like to help uh, projects in, in my neighborhood that they can reduce the emissions that I need. So it's, it's um, and interesting is that the, the costs in those projects are mostly higher than the C2 price in capital trade system. They're not higher, you said? Or They're always higher, okay. mostly higher. Um, that's why the subsidies in those sectors are also pretty high. Um, the costs are higher because it's more complex, you don't have the numbers there, it's, uh, every project is different. So it's costly. You can call this transaction costs, but you can also say, well, these projects have, have a, a, a high value because it creates maybe more comfort in houses, it creates, uh, it's, it's nearby, it has more value. Some projects even develop, uh, help develop biodiversity or nature development. So these domestic offset projects have often more values. So you can, you can ask a higher price for those reductions. And that makes it interesting. So uh, you wouldn't do this because of the low cost, but you need to do it anyway. Uh, you can do it early because you use the carbon market, and there's a lot of appetite in companies investing in these local nearby projects. Um, citizens, see, citizens see things happen nearby, so it has a lot of a uh, lot of advantages. Yeah, and it creates awareness too. And it, you, you, uh, you definitely, you know, yeah. yeah. You know, that's one of those interesting things that we found as well when we look at when we do our annual surveys of these different uh, you know, carbon offsets. I buyers. read them always. I like them. And I see suddenly this project appearing in your reports. I am very happy. And you can find links to all of those reports in the show notes for today's episode, episode 30, at bionic-planet.com. 
There you can also support the podcast by becoming a patron for as little as $1 per month. If enough of you do that, I can deliver more episodes and maybe better produced ones to boot with a second set of ears and better editing and pacing. I should point out I'm shifting my support from the old system to Patreon, which offers more flexibility. If you're on the old system, you can stay there, but you won't see the button on the homepage anymore. I've set the Patreon patronage page up so that you can support me per episode, but with a monthly cap. So if you think $5 per month is good for a five-episode month, you can pledge $1 per episode, but with a $5 monthly cap. That way, if I don't manage to generate five episodes in a month, you're not paying for something you didn't get. And if I go nuts and deliver 20 episodes one month, you won't get whacked either. By the same token, you can offer $5 per episode or 10 or 50 or whatever. And finally, if you listen to audiobooks, you can support me by visiting audibletrial.com forward slash bionicplanet for a free 30-day trial at audible.com. The address again is audibletrial.com forward slash bionicplanet. And that's bionicplanet with no dots, dashes, or spaces as opposed to my website, which is bionic-planet.com. It's a no-brainer that you have to develop projects that not only reduce CO2, but also create more safety, more, uh, a better environment, increase nature. And you see that exactly in, in, in red. And so these kind of projects we like to do in the Netherlands. Like in the Peatlands area, uh, we work with farmers. So on some areas they, ac- they ex- uh, accept higher uh, water, water levels. It's better for peat, you can, you can uh, extend it again. Um, and it's also better for their land sometimes when it's partly more wet. Um, so and you could create more uh, biodiversity uh, and you reduce methane emissions so this combination makes it happen so you need this value so that more stakeholders more shareholders um, have a relationship with the project and that helps to the, the project to continue uh, people are uh, willing to pay more and I think that's the way to go so you do see two trading uh, and reductions and, and finance of course, you need them, but on top of that, yeah, you have a better world, a nicer world. I should point out here that governments have been experimenting with voluntary markets for a while. And in 2012, Ecosystem Marketplace identified more than a dozen governmental efforts built on voluntary carbon markets, including one from the Dutch government called the Bos Klimaatfonds program. I hope I'm pronouncing that right which, like Green Deal, aimed to reduce the country's greenhouse gas emissions by encouraging cities, companies, and private citizens to buy carbon offsets. That earlier effort used the carbon fix protocol for restoring woodlands. But Kozainsen says there was confusion over how to account for offsets generated in a country that already belonged to the Kyoto Protocol. The Green Deal is not led by the government, but it is led by NGOs and the private sector with input from the Ministry of Environment. Because Einstein says Green Deal won't run into the accounting confusion that dogged the earlier program because the Paris Agreement provides guidance on the accounting front. He also points out that times have changed since then. This didn't work then, and now the time is there to, to test it. And, and what's, what's changed since then? What is different now is that the government realizes that, well, after 2020... 
we need to also tackle the emissions in those sectors, the non-ETS sectors. And we don't know exactly how to do that. So then let these guys do something with an initiative, Green Deal, then maybe we can use it later for a real target. The Netherlands isn't the only country where NGOs and governments are experimenting with voluntary carbon programs. It is happening in many member states. There are all kind of initiatives in Sweden, Denmark, uh, Belgium, Germany, and in the UK. Uh, uh, some do with forestry, some with uh, peatlands. Uh, in all these member states there are these initiatives. And they're trying to find a way, how can we do this? Because it's not linked to the European emission trading system yet, uh, the compliance mechanism. Um, it's voluntarily. <coughs> so we all, all try to find a way how, how to get this done. And so now, and that's why we came up in the Netherlands to use green deals for that, because in fact, you come together, governments, NGOs, some companies, project developers, and say, okay, what can we identify? What kind of sectors are available? What kind of reductions? What is really additional? And can we organize a market? The Green Deal doesn't create new carbon standards, but aims to encourage the creation of projects under existing ones, like the Verified Carbon Standard, Carbon Fix, and Gold Standard, within the Netherlands. One thing all of those standards have in common, they don't just award offsets for reducing emissions. No, you only earn offsets by implementing specific activities that go above and beyond what's required by law or that would happen under a business-as-usual scenario. Farmers have the rules. They need to uh, keep the manure for a while in, in, in the house. Manure, manure. Manure, exactly. And then they can, can, uh, can bring it on the lands. So that's the law. But if they do a better job and digest it on top of that, they do something additional to the obligation. What do you mean digest? Well, so in a, in a, they put the, uh, the manure in a digester. What's, a, what's that? Like a, it's a methane capture thing? Or what is it? It's yeah, it captures methane. It, it creates a power or green gas. So you can use it. And you avoid meth methane emissions uh, to the air. Methane is a powerful greenhouse gas that captures about 80 times more heat or contributes about 80 times as much to climate change as carbon dioxide does, at least in the short term. Overall, livestock emit about 30% of all methane emissions worldwide, which is one factor that makes cows such a big part of the climate change equation. For more on methane, check out episode 15, how garlic and orange peels cut cow burps and slow climate change. All sectors have some rules, but if you go beyond, if you do additional things beyond, so if you go to zero emissions in a house or an office park, I mean, if you uh, take, for example, an office park, um, the building act is saying how much energy efficiency you need to apply, for example. But if you go to zero energy use, you do much more. So you can see the baseline is the law. If you go beyond, that's the additional reductions. You, uh, if you, and if you generate those, you generate credits. You, you generate the market. So that's additionality. So in every type of project, you, you try to define what's the rule here, what are we obliged to, what can we do additional. So the idea is you start up with laws. You say these are regulations. This yep. is what we have to do. Then you use these markets to incentivize people to go further. Yeah, that's the fun. And but there's also the I idea. Can go, yeah, but, I, but there's because also people but say, I, also I can go to zero. Yeah. I can do that. Yeah, but, but it, it costs money. Well. If I uh, sell credits, I can help I to uh, invest. Yeah. It's like coupon collectors. It's positive. No, but yeah, but I know, I know, I know people who like they, they shop with coupons, yeah, and their nice whole word. mission, yeah. their whole mission is to get to the point that they can spend almost get more money back from. It reminds me of the story I saw on the uh, news uh, news last night in the Netherlands, 
we have these small plastic bottles. You see them everywhere on the streets, in the in the lands, and in, in, uh, in the fields. It, it's waste. We need to get rid of them. So and now they're thinking of why why should we maybe develop a recycle uh, fee? If you bring them back, you get money. Maybe 20, 20 cents. Maybe I won't do it, but other people who are looking for money, who like to fund, maybe children, they're looking for those and they will clean it up. So yeah. then it's fun. That is something positive. Um, one great project I often mention is the mine water project. So in the southern Netherlands, we had mines, coal mines. They were closed. There's water in the mines. And now what's happening because of this CO2 market, amongst others, is that there's a, a project being developed now to link offices and houses to the, the mine water because it functions as, as a buffer. So it, it brings warmth to, to the buildings and it takes heat, for example, for a data center. So data center is also linked to the mine water with, with pipes and pumps. So it brings the heat in and it goes back into houses. And that's fun stuff because it's not linked to the, to the uh, to a cap and trade system. It's voluntarily, it's independent off-grid projects. And if you create this U2 value on top of uh, that you create the heat. Yeah, that's a fun part of it. And it's actually going through the water in the mines. It's not even district heating where you're, pump, you're yeah, piping. Yeah, and people love it because they say, I mean, the people that live there and uh, who feel, uh, f still feel depressed, they're big cities, a lot of mines, a lot of mine workers, they say, hey, finally, our mines create energy again. So they love it. Yeah, I wonder if we can do something like that in, uh, in coal country. Yes, yeah. in Virginia. Please do it. <laughs> At Ecosystem Marketplace, we've surveyed scores of companies that voluntarily buy offsets. And two things come up over and over again. One is that buying offsets makes the entire organization more aware of its own emissions. And the other is that more and more companies like to buy offsets that are somehow related to their businesses. We saw this in episode 24 where we learned how office supplies giant Staples is buying offsets generated by saving and restoring forests in the southeastern United States, where it gets paper from. Einstein says the Green Deal was inspired in part by some of those findings. Every donor, every financer is looking for a project he likes or where he can bring his uh, staff to or which he can show on his website, for example. He wants to have some kind of link with the project. So the Green Deal will also have a portal where we show the map of the Netherlands and where the projects are being developed and identified and how much they reduce, and you can buy them. And, w and what's the government's role in this? Are they establishing criteria? or? Yeah, they, ha they haven't had a few r roles. So um, they were interested in this Green Deal because they saw citizens uh, having interest. Um, they want to, yeah, to, to address that, to do something with it. They saw cities and, uh, and villages saying we want to beca uh, become carbon neutral, but what does it really mean? There's a lot of overlap and double, uh, double counting, double claiming, so they want to address that. That's also what the Green Deal is doing. And the government is thinking, well, we need those reductions anyway for the later, so let these guys in the Green Deal identify potential projects, because n later we, we need them. So that's the role of the government. And um, interesting is that so maybe 10 years ago, we thought, we NGOs, we can work with companies, and that's it. We, we, can, we, can, we can do the deal. We can cut the CO2, that's it. But at the end of the day, citizens like to know what, what, what does the government feel, because they, they, have, the, they have the obligation, uh, they have to report the emissions. So that's also what they're, they're helping us out with. What is additional? Um, for example, if we could do um, 
uh, electric cars, for example, the government is saying, well, we are already developing a, a policy there, so don't go for projects in that sector, because it will be covered. Or there's, there's policy upcoming or regulation. On the other hand, they also open areas. Oh, this is something we don't regulate very soon. So we welcome you. Identify projects there. And we don't know much about it, too, which is also exactly. it's something yeah. I found like when talking to uh, the, the World Bank people. They talk about how wherever Red, Red Plus has been developed and uh, has been implemented in developing countries, the, the added accounting that comes with this, the, the fact that they have to go through all this rigor, helps them understand what's causing all of this, these problems. It's been, it's, this is knock-on benefit. That's the awareness. I think that's funny because when I interviewed uh, companies in the Netherlands that are participating in the capital rate system, they say, well, maybe the price is not so high, but we're just more aware. We're just more aware that we have emissions. Emissions are often a, a proof of inefficiency. Hey, we can tackle it. Why not? You know. So it's, uh, it's awareness building. It's, it's a big part of what we're doing here. And then on the, on the source, on the numbers, um, we have, of course, numbers for agriculture and forestry, but we have aggregated numbers for the whole sector. And often you see, if you start calculating individual sources, uh, bottom-up, you uh, immediately see lower emission levels. So it's very attractive to have a more concrete, more detailed uh, calculations, because it saves already emissions there. So you need to do it anyway. You need to go to zero, so you need to know the emissions first. Otherwise, you can't go to zero. So that's why we develop for the uh, for the carbon for the for this green deal, we d we s identify sectors or project types. We try to see do we have already standards, like on the meth on the methane, for example, in, in manure digestion, there's already um, uh, standards developed on the CDM. We can use them. For peatlands, there are some standards, but we don't know if we can use them in the Netherlands. For mine water, it's more energy efficiency or energy uh, saving you use, for example. So for every type. We try to find how can we calculate those emissions in the baselines, how can we monitor and verify them, um, do we maybe uh, have a, a more lean and mean approach for smaller projects and more uh, yeah, rigorous uh, uh, standards for larger projects. So that's the kind of work we're doing at the moment. Have you had any pushback from, from any sectors on this? No. That was, the because, uh, no that, that was because there was a lot of skepticism, of course, mm. 10 years. But they say, hey, Jos, you're still enthusiastic, so uh, maybe it will happen. And uh, so every time when there was a uh, climate summit in Bonn or whatever, I was uh, approaching the minister and say, hey, domestic offsets, why, uh, why don't we do that? And slowly, slowly, the awareness was all built there. We need this eventually. So there was some skepticism, but yeah, there, were always, there was always progress. The parliament likes this because they like to... Uh, to address citizens and projects and project developers in the country because they have an interest in cutting CO2, so why not involve those? So not much pushback. Maybe the pushback is more like, well, will there be enough demand, right? Uh, well, we think this system will create demand. If you can compensate your emissions nearby, why not doing this? Um, yeah, and the potential is, of course, big. I mean, we have in Holland 100 million tons per year in the uh, mandatory emission trading system and 100 million ton in the other sector. So there is potential. We need a lot of cuts there. Um, we identified with some studies that one or maybe two or three million per year can be reduced with this Green Deal. Um, we focus on half a megaton per year. Uh, so there's potential. And the reason I ask that is uh, in the U.S., farmers don't like to enter these programs because they're leery 
of having uh, inspectors walking around on their land. It oh, sounds yeah. like that's not a cultural issue that you have here, huh? Well, or it might be a we, we, we heard that indeed. That's <laughs> funny. The uh, economic ministry was indeed concerned that maybe some companies like uh, milk, milk corporations will maybe uh, ask their farmers all to monitor and uh, calculate their numbers and force them to do so. Uh, there was some pushback uh, there indeed. So yeah, we, we tried to find lean and mean standards. So it's uh, every, every company can do this. It's, we try to keep it simple, make it simple. Um, so you're right, that, that's a concern. Dutch attorney Jos Kazainsen closing out this episode of Bionic Planet. If you like what you hear, be sure to share the love by giving me a good rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you access the show. That really does matter a lot and makes it easier for other people to find the program. You can also support me financially for as little as $1 per month by becoming a patron at bionic-planet.com. If enough of you do that, I can deliver more episodes and maybe better produced episodes to boot with a second set of ears and better editing and pacing. And finally, if you listen to audiobooks, you can support me by visiting audibletrial.com forward slash bionicplanet for a free 30-day trial at audible.com. The address again is audibletrial.com forward slash bionicplanet. And again, that's bionicplanet with no dots, dashes, or spaces as opposed to my website, which is bionic-planet.com. That's all for today. Until next time, I'm Steve Zwick in Chicago. Thanks for listening. Yeah.